0: thank you don i I want to thank you, Dawn, so much for inviting me to share this time with you. My office over at Horizon Next Door overlooks your church, and when my mind wanders from my work, I peek out my windows, and I think to myself as I see you coming and going, I wonder what those folks at Forest Grove are up to? What's their ministry? What are their ministries about? Who are they? And from time to time, I also pray for you as I think about you, as, as we think about you from across uh, the way. And so it's just a delight, having spied on you for several months now, to get to come into the premises and have this chance to even listen in on what God is doing in your midst. And I'm so thankful for what I've already heard this morning. So bless you in the name of the Lord, and it's just my privilege to be here today. So, as many of you know, you're in a sermon series about the parables of the kingdom from the Gospel of Matthew. And today we're going to look at a parable from Matthew 18, the parable of the lost sheep. But before we get there, I want to start by asking you some questions. And I'm going to invite you, as I ask these questions, just to look around you. Now, when I was a young girl and going to church, my mom always said, when you go to the church, don't gawk around. You look at the front and you participate with what's going on and so I'm actually breaking my mother's rules by saying uh, but let's just break my mother's rules for a minute and and take a moment and just look around you and see who's here uh, maybe you, you've seen, you'll see some people you haven't seen for a while, uh, maybe you've already greeted friends who've been away on holidays, or maybe there's people who are just now returning after a season when we haven't been able to meet together as normal. So, so look around and think about who's here, and maybe, although I know there's folks online, maybe think also about who's missing, who's not here, that maybe is surprising to you to see that they're not here today. And, and as you do that, as you think about who's here, who's not here, I want you to just think for a moment, how would you rate, now this is kind of weird, but, and, I, and don't, don't shout an answer out loud, uh, but if you could rate the spiritual condition or temperature of, of your community, its health, on a scale of 1 to 10, where would it be at? Where would you be? How's your spiritual health, personally? How's your congregation doing? And maybe, maybe you know that, and maybe think everything's okay. I don't know, I've just been peeking at you across the way, so I don't really know. Um, but I wonder, and we know this from some of the information that's coming out, that this season, this past season, has been a difficult one. And that meeting together in, uh, has not been normal. And for some, it's meant that their Christian discipleship has slipped. Maybe you know people like that. Maybe you don't. But that's something that I want us to think about. Now, as, but right before we look at the parable, You might be thinking, okay, these are strange questions to ask, aren't they, when we're going to talk about the parable of lost sheep. Isn't that a story about God seeking and saving the lost? And I want to suggest to you today that while, of course, the Lord is deeply concerned about those who don't know him, in the context of Matthew 18, this parable is actually a lesson about life and community together. It's about how we behave toward one another. One commentator says it this way. He entitles uh, the whole parable as life within the community of the kingdom. So as we look at this parable of the kingdom, we need to think about community life. As we do that, I want us to first just go to the text uh, of Matthew 18, to 14, and let's read that together. Jesus says from the parable, What do you think? If someone owns a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and and look for the one that went astray? In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that one of these little ones should be lost. And that highlighted portion at the bottom is to show us the Father's care Uh, For those, okay, it's a little bit different on the slide. Anyway, what I want to emphasize first out of this parable is that it's showing us how much the Father cares for those who have gone astray. He's willing to go at great lengths to save them if they've gone astray. That's the main point. And this shows us really the shepherd heart of God, the pastoral heart of God. And if you and I were first-century Jewish readers or listeners to this parable, we might immediately think of another passage from Ezekiel 34. Ezekiel 34 is interesting because it's also talking about shepherds and sheep. In Ezekiel 34, God addresses the prophet Ezekiel, and he expresses his displeasure over the ways in which uh, the shepherds of Israel, that is, the, the leaders in Israel, had not taken care of the sheep. This is what he says to Ezekiel. God addresses Ezekiel as son of man. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, to the shepherds, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? But you do not feed the sheep. You have not strengthened the weak, healed the sick, bandaged the injured, and brought back the strays or sought the lost. And so in this story, uh, what's being addressed is the children of Israel are now in exile. They've gone into exile because of the, they've disobeyed God. But what God is saying to the prophet is that it's the kings of Israel prior to the exile that didn't do their job to take care of the sheep. As human leaders, they were supposed to exercise God's pastoral care. As representatives of God, they were supposed to care for the sheep, and they hadn't done so. And there was devastating results. They ended up allowing, really causing the children of Israel to go into into exile. Israel had failed. And so, if we move a little bit ahead in the passage, God says, look, you leaders haven't done what you should, but I myself am going to act. For thus says the Lord God, I myself will search for my sheep, and will seek them out, as shepherds seek out their flocks when they are among the scattered sheep. So I will seek out my sheep. I will rescue them from all the dark places to which they have been scattered on the day of clouds and thick darkness. So here we see, same as the parable in Matthew, so in Ezekiel, God is deeply concerned for his people. He's deeply concerned for the way that they've gone astray, and he's willing to act himself, to go to great lengths, to save them. And we know for Israel that God ultimately did that through Jesus. But he wants to use human agents to do that, just like the, he wanted to use the, children, uh, the leaders of the children of Israel. So we're going to see in Matthew 18 that he also wants to use his people. So if we flip back to our parable again, and we look at, just review Matthew 18, 11 to 14 one, once more. Uh, I want us to, you can skip ahead, not just to the parable itself, but to the end of the parable on, on the overhead. Notice that in the same way as a shepherd is not willing that the sheep should go astray, in the same way the Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should be lost. So the question you might ask yourself is, okay, during the time of exile, when Ezekiel spoke on behalf of the Lord, he was talking about the people of Israel. That's who God was concerned about. Here in Matthew, God's concern is for these little ones. The question might be, well, who are these little ones? And I think that the context of Matthew 18 gives us the answer to that. And not only the answer to that, but what we as human agents are supposed to do about this difficulty of lost sheep. So let's go now to Matthew 18, verses 3 to 6. So this is the material preceding Matthew 18, uh, 11 to 14, the parable. And it says this. It really defines for us who the little ones are. So Matthew 18, 3 to 6. I tell you the truth. Unless you turn around and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes a child like this in my name welcomes me. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, or we could translate that as to stumble, it would be better for him to have a huge millstone hung around his neck and be drowned in the open sea. So here we have that repetition of that phrase, little ones, and it happens a few times in Matthew 18. And the little ones, defined here in Matthew 18, 3-6, are none other than disciples, right? They're the little children. Uh, Disciples are described here as little children. That is, anyone who wants to enter the kingdom of heaven and become a disciple of Jesus has to humble himself like a child. And when he does that, Jesus calls that he or she, that, that disciple of Jesus, a little one. So who are the little ones in the story? Well, they're you and they're me. We're all little ones who have humbled ourselves so that we can enter the kingdom of heaven. We're those who have been willing to lose status and worldly authority so we can participate in the kingdom. So we learn then that this parable of the lost sheep happens in a context uh, where we're supposed to understand the little ones whom the Father is seeking as believers in Jesus who have gone astray. That's what the parable is talking about. It, But not only do we learn that, we also learn something interesting about how we should respond to the little ones. If we look at this passage, Matthew 18, 3 to 6 again, notice uh, how little ones should act toward other little ones. (laughs) We as little ones. Um, Whoever welcomes a child like this in my name welcomes me. So we're to receive one another, to care for one another, to protect one another. And we also are supposed to avoid hurting one another. But if anyone causes one of these little ones that is one of these believers in Jesus, to stumble or to sin, this translation says, it would be better for him to have a huge millstone hung around his neck and be drowned in the open sea. That's pretty powerful. But what would it look like for you or I to cause someone to sin or to stumble? How come we have that kind of responsibility? Doesn't it seem ominous? What does it look like? I think it could look like any number of things. It could look like being a bad example, right? Doing things that are not um, in keeping with what it looks like to be a disciple. It could look like harsh criticism that discourages one of God's little ones. It could look like gossip. It could look like disregard, not paying attention when we should. These are some of the ways, and and you could list probably others, that we can cause others to stumble and to fall into sin. Let me just illustrate this through a story about myself. When I was uh, younger, (laughs) I won't say how young, but fairly young, I was enthusiastic about serving the Lord, and I was trying to figure out where God had called me to serve. And so I was in a church, and I was trying to do everything that I knew that would be pleasing to the Lord. So I was involved in prayer groups, and I was involved in evangelism, and I was involved in discipleship, and I was trying to work on all these initiatives in our church. And you know, I was young in that, and you could say, I think probably many people did, that I was a little bit flaky. That is, I went about what I was doing in sort of unconventional ways, And that actually attracted a fair bit of criticism, by way. (laughs) And, uh, you know, some of it probably was fair, but that criticism actually turned into some pretty malicious gossip to the point where there was a number of people in the church where I was trying to serve as a volunteer. A number of them were actually labeling me as someone who was displeasing to God. And I was teetering, right, on that place, as a little one where it was pretty close to where I was going to stumble and fall into sin. And then the most amazing thing happened. Two older women in the church, not talking to each other, but both just started to do almost the same thing. And you know what they did? They started coming to my groups, to my prayer groups, to my discipleship groups. They listened to my vision for evangelism. And these older, wiser women, they just came alongside. And without saying anything, they just walked with me. And in doing that, they brought me back into the fold. I was a little one that was straying on the edge because I was so discouraged. And they brought me back, they just brought me back, very gently, uh, by, by really through their actions, because their actions said, Susan, we believe that God has a calling on your life. We believe in what you're trying to do and were willing to support it. They weren't leaders in the church, but they played this amazing pastoral and shepherd role in my life. And I am so thankful to them because I don't know, I don't know if I'd be here today if it wasn't for their care. And you know, something else happened. Just their presence and their input helped me not to be as flaky. I got a little bit more wise about how I did my my life in ministry. So I just, I thank God for those ladies and I'll forever be indebted to them. And so we see that there's these ways that we have great responsibility in caring for God's people as ordinary believers in Jesus. I know pastors have this really important role in that. But there's a role that we have as little ones to care for other little ones and to make sure that they're not offended so that they go astray. In fact, if we moved back to our passage in Matthew, what I've done is included verse 10 on this section now so that you can see Matthew 18, 10 to 14, that really the instruction about how we should treat each other as little ones is bridged so that it's connected to the parable uh, of the lost sheep. This is what Matthew 18.10 says. See to it uh, that you do not disdain one of these little ones, that is, these disciples of Jesus. Don't look down on any of them, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. Okay, that's a bit strange, isn't it? What is that talking about? That angels behold the face of a father in heaven and they seem to do it as representatives of disciples. We don't know a lot about angels. Uh, we don't, the scriptures don't talk a lot about what they do. But here it seems like disciples of Jesus have angels that represent them. And when they're looking at the face of the Father, it seems like that beholding the face of the Father that they're doing represents their intercession on our behalf. Think about that. That there are representatives in heaven who are beholding, they're searching the face of the Father. Why? So that none of us are lost, so that all of us are protected. And so if, if we put this in the context of what we just read, when we do something that maligns another believer. When we criticize, or we gossip, or we disregard uh, God's people, we're acting against the will of heaven. We're acting against God's shepherd heart to care for his people. And so this is an ominous warning for us. And then there's the parable. And again, I'll just repeat that the parable illustrates that the Father is not willing that any of these little ones be lost. So, to sum up what we've seen so far, I think we need to ask and and kind of summarize by by asking this question and summarizing the answer, how do we participate in finding lost sheep? Well, we see that so far we do it by imitating the good shepherd. Matthew uh, 18, 3-10 teaches us that we imitate the good shepherd by causing no offense or stumbling block. By giving and receiving tender care to one another. Just like those ladies, right? They were imitating the good shepherd and how they were acting toward me. And you know, probably no one knew what they were up to, but the Lord knew. And they were acting on his behalf as they did that. And then we have the parable. That's the next part. And then we have another piece in Matthew 18 that teaches us about what it looks like to imitate the good shepherd. As human representatives of him. And this piece in Matthew 18, 15 to 17 is really the correction part. Now it's interesting because I think this is a little bit countercultural for us, right? Correction is a way of providing restoration, but how often do we think of it that way? This is right after the parable of the lost sheep, Matthew 18, 15 to 17. And one commentator says this about this passage, and I'll read the passage right after this. This passage provides a practical guide to how a disciple can imitate his father's concern for wandering sheep. So on the one hand, we're supposed to not cause offense and protect by showing tender care, but on the other hand, we're supposed to bring correction at the appropriate time and in the appropriate way. Let's read what Matthew 18, 15 to 17 says. If your brother sins, go and show him his fault when the two of you are alone. If he listens to you, you've regained a brother. Okay, so we see here that if we see someone acting in a way that's not in accord with God's will, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to go to them and talk to them alone. Why? So that we can regain them. In other words, When I talk to Don, if I see something, now I I haven't seen anything like that in his life, but let's say I did. If I go and talk to him, I'm actually trying to do the shepherd work of bringing him back. Don, I see this in your life. Let's talk about it together. Let's pray together so that I can regain you. That's, regain you. That is, I'm acting as in accord with the Father's heart to bring restoration And of course, if that doesn't work, if he doesn't listen, then you take two or three others with you so that the testimony of two or three witnesses, every matter may be established. So you're upping the ante. Why? Not to hurt that brother or sister, but to bring them back, to act in accord with the Father's heart for them. And if he still refuses to listen, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to the church, then you treat him like an outsider, like a gentle or a tax collector. But again, in each of these intensifications, the purpose is to act like the father caring for the lost sheep. That's the purpose of these types of confrontation. And I want to say, I I wasn't really excited about talking about this, because I don't know that I know how to do this correction piece really well. And I think a lot of us struggle over learning how to bring correction in a way that's like our Good Shepherd, our Heavenly Father, and of course, Jesus. Uh, I'll tell you why I'm not good at it. It's because I'm a Bible teacher. I'm truth-oriented. I want people to know the truth. And often, I, if I see something that's wrong in someone's life, I'm probably likely to say, I just need to go and address that person and tell them what's wrong and bring them on track. Now, how many of you know, when you just heard that, that that's probably not that straightforward forward approach is probably not that effective, right? It probably has some holes in it, and this is true. So how do we bring that type of correction in a way that's not going to give offence? Because you see, of not bringing offence and correction go together. So how does that work together? I think there's a way that it works together best when we work together. Now, I told you, I'm that sort of truth-oriented person. My husband, on the other hand, is more like that pastoral caring person who's very concerned not to give offense. He's very concerned about that. He's a gentle soul, and you can imagine the two of us. Our kids are raised now. thank, Thank the Lord that they made it. But you can see the pull, right? How are you going to treat kids when you've got one person who's going to address that problem and you've got the other person going, no, we have to do this in a way that's gentle. And, and so there was lots of, lots of struggle. Uh, <laughs> but here we are still trying to learn this together. And I, I tell you this because we're starting to learn a little more about how to work together, but it's still hard work for all of us. And and recently, we had this privilege of working together with a couple who we were mentoring. And and as we mentored them, it it became apparent that there was an issue in that couple's life that needed to be addressed. And of course, you know what Susan's going to say, all right, Bruce, we need to address this, we need to sit this couple down, we need to talk to them about what's wrong, we need to pray for them, and it's all going to be good. And Bruce is going, oh, honey, I don't know if that's going to (laughs) work. And he was right. And the Holy Spirit, I think, hopefully, well, yeah, not hopefully, this did happen. The Holy Spirit uh, gently showed me that I need to let my husband take the lead on this. And so we sat down with the couple. My husband agreed that the problem needed to be addressed. It's just how. How do you do that? And in his gentle way, he just started talking to the couple. And of course, I'm going, okay, in this meeting, we're beating around the bush. I just want to get to the heart of the problem and deal with it. And the Holy Spirit just kept holding me back and holding me back so that my husband could talk to this couple and gently care for them and talk to them so that by the time it came around to the point where the issue needed to be addressed, There was this way that the couple was open to receive that, to say, yes, this is what we need to change and to repent in such a way that we could pray for them and bring those little sheep, his little ones, back into alignment with God's will. So I think that we need to work on this together. We need to learn to do this together. Our Heavenly Father, He is seeking and pursuing the lost. Maybe think about the lost as people who have fallen away from the Lord. That's how I think we're supposed to understand this today, right? It's, it's little ones who've lost their way. You probably know some of them. Maybe for some of you, those are children or grandchildren. People who have lost their way, do you know that the Father in heaven, He is going ahead of you. He is going ahead of you to seek and to pursue His lost little ones. And because He's going ahead of you, you can be confident that He's going to work through you. He wants to work through you as ordinary believers. Yes, we have pastors in our community, but there's many, many of you who have a role in bringing that tender care to his disciples, giving and receiving tender care without causing stumbling or offense on the one hand, like the ladies in my story, but on the other hand, bringing correction and restoration, like that young couple that I mentioned. We receive and participate in this work together. Why? Because our Heavenly Father is going ahead of us, and we get to be alongside our Good Shepherd. So, Forest Grove Community Church and members therein, as I look across at my window, outside my window, and I see you coming and going, my prayer is that you would be a people, that all of you would be a people who act in concert with the Father's shepherd heart for his people. Amen.